Hi, we're Rachel Friedman and Tara Morgan, and you're listening to Steady State Podcast. They're ready. If you're a first-time listener, welcome. If you're coming back for another episode, thanks for being here. Hello. Man, the- I was just thinking about all the stuff we've done this year. <laughs> I mean, I'm a little like like hungover almost. <laughs> <laughs> thinking about it all. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, we've done a lot. If you think about like 2020, all right, so you and I are like, in, in our little hovels of our home offices and we meet up and we're not leaving the house and we're just erging and we're like uh, all grumpy. introspective. We're all introspective and grumpy. Yeah. <laughs> we're totally introspective and grumpy. We were just like all hold up the whole year. There was a long period of time where we were not rowing. Yeah. Not hanging out with our teams. And that what I think is so admirable and just just mad respect for both of us is that we never ran out of things to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> um no no, we haven't run out of things to talk about. And I really think that's because we have really like chosen to up our game year over year. Like, let's see who we can talk to next. You know, you and I started chit-chatting because we like talking about rowing and there were kind of a a few key concepts that we really had on our on our minds and wanted to talk about and now we've been able to do that with a lot of different people and it's been able to like broaden the way that we think about things and each time we have a conversation with a rower a coach a coxswain whoever that provides us even more nuggets (laughs) right right i mean i think what what you're saying is like we believed and our ability to produce a great podcast, right? And we didn't know what the hell we were doing. And we yeah. both had to teach ourselves all of the things, right? And and you always came to the table with like, I was listening to this podcast and we should try this thing. And I'm like, wow, we really uh, brought some interesting things to the format and the structure and the engineering. The world around us, the rowing community around us has now come to us as opposed mm. to us always having to go out and go find people and kind of like hey guys can we come play hey guys can we hey guys can we come in and now we're seeing it come back in terms of people financially supporting us by being patreons by people advertising with us by walking through head of the charles or masters nationals and people being like steady state but what's cool is that we are not only identifying our community but honing who our listeners are and who our community is and what they want to hear and then mm-hmm. they're telling us what they want to hear. But I think our advantage is that we've been dead on consistent, absolute dead on consistent, two episodes a month. It's always been the same format. Everybody knows what they're going to get when they listen to it. And my favorite at moments have come when we've least expected it. So let's, we'll go over that. So, but today is our year in review yeah. for 2023. I'm Tara. That's Rachel. Tara and I have between us about 40 years of rowing, coaching, and coxing experience. Uh, I'm Rachel Friedman. I'm based in Washington, D.C., and I learned to row in 2001. Um, I am a, I'd like to say that I'm a rower trapped in a coxswain's body. So I spent many, many years rowing and being really stubborn about learning to cox. I was like, I will not. And then finally, I think it was the head coach of my club's competitive program basically said to me, listen, like you're 
you're perfectly sized to be a coxswain and I want you to come to Masters Nationals with a competitive team. And that was when the real light bulb moment happened for me where I realized I could get in boats I wasn't otherwise able to get in. I learned to cox and have really glommed onto it. And I understand the importance of coxing to this day and make it a big part of my, my rowing life. I've also coached, learned to row, Masters novices, Masters club programs, Masters competitive programs. I've been the head coach of a program, head coach of a club. And then I just couldn't get enough. And I started the Alliance of Women Rowing Coaches on Facebook. And I'm a graphic designer and you can find me at RowSource. And it's just been one thing after another. And then all of a sudden I met you and now we're doing this thing. And the whole life is about rowing. Tell our listeners about yourself and how you got involved with rowing and, you know, all the hats that you've worn. So I had the luck and good fortune to grow up in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, which a lot of people know as a site for youth nationals, masters nationals, Syras, various regattas. It's a beautiful race course. And so when people ask me where I learned to row, I say Oak Ridge, Tennessee. And they're like, there's rowing in Tennessee. And I'm like, yes, you'd be surprised. It's kind of a rowing little mecca there. But it's where I fell in love with it. I probably rowed for a couple of seasons, but it stuck with me. I came back to it as an adult and as a master's rower. And within a year of being a master's rower, I was such an evangelist for the sport that I was asked to apply to be a learn to row coach, which led to like a 12 year absolute passion fest for adult learn to row, which is like one of my favorite things of all time. Someone asked me to coach someone with a disability, more specifically a quadriplegic who wanted to learn to row. This was something I knew nothing about. This was something that I was not prepared for, but I was super curious and super into it, into the idea of it. And I loved rowing so much. I'm like, everyone should do it. Like, let's just all come to the party. And so I ended up out of that experience founding Seize the Or Foundation, which was founded in 2013, which is incredible. It's been 10 years. And of course, we've had our ups and downs with COVID, but it's back and there it's happening. And uh, I'm really excited for what's going to happen in 2024 with a new boathouse. So I'm a sweep rower by trade. I love sweep. I love the pair. I think the pair is the truth teller. It's one of my favorite boats. And I'm looking forward to 2024 being a year for sculling and and kind of nailing that down. We're going to talk about sculling a a lot, I think, in the coming months because- um, Specifically coastal sculling. Specifically coastal sculling. Um, We'll just give you guys a little peek here that I, who am not really a sculler, I have sculled, but I'm not really a sculler, I'm planning on- really engaging with it in the coming year. And Tara and I have a big goal of rowing um, the race around the rock next August, which is an 88K relay race. I always forget the name of the island, Tara. Salt Spring Thank you. Yeah, in a coastal quad. So stay tuned over the 2024 season. We're going to be talking about that a lot. Absolutely. I feel like um, COVID really... Uh, put a halt on a lot of things, including my coaching, including my rowing, including my professional development. And then it just kicked off a whole new era. And what came out of COVID for me was to become a podcaster with you, to become a media person in the rowing Mm -hmm. world, but also to change, totally change careers and uh, become a barber of all things, which is just bizarre to me still. So I have a barbershop on Vashon Island, Washington, and I've been doing that for three years now, which is insane. And also you and I have both had these kind of big roller coaster rides with our rowing lives. And so Mm. I've seen you go from like rock bottom, nothing's happening to getting back into coaching, getting back into rowing, rowing at Masters Nationals, rowing ahead of the Charles. 
And it's been fun to be a part of that ride with you, even at the low points. <laughs> because of Steady State Podcast, I'm rowing. I mean, honestly, if I, it wasn't for this podcast, I probably would have stepped away mm. um, from the sport a bit more than I have. And because of Steady State, I got ready to race in an eight at Masters Nationals. I got ready to race in an eight in Boston twice. I did a lot more racing this year than I have in years past and just feel so much more connected. So I think it's it's good for everyone. And hopefully we've inspired our listeners to stick with the sport to uh, fall in love with the sport as much as as much as we have. So here's the deal with this episode. We are creeping up on the end of season four. We've got one more episode coming up in December. But in the interim, we're giving you this look back at the 2023 season, all things rowing and steady state network in 2023. So we'll go behind the scenes of the podcast, talk about our big takeaway from interviews uh, with nearly 40 guests. A little shout out to a couple of our sponsors. Steady State Podcast is sponsored in part by Concept2 and mm -hmm. EB5 Investors. So Tara, I want to get this started with a riff on a question we normally ask our podcast guests and we also ask at our Coffee Chat Instagram Lives every Friday. So we normally ask, how is your rowing week going? But since this is a year-end wrap-up, on a scale of one to 10, how would you rate your rowing year? I would say this one is more around a seven and a half. It kicked off really, really well with getting to meet Jebby Stone. And then the rowing itself just amped up over the year, you know, I really got back on the water. So, you know, and raced and connected with my team. So I think that combined with our events that we went to and and all of the pieces that went together and just feeling a little bit more connected to the rowing world again i'd say seven and a half. Oh, i love that that's really solid and you know when we were talking at the beginning of the year we came into 2023 and we're like commit to fit right we had hashtag and everything and yeah. i think we kind of got ourselves a little too excited. We're like, we're going to be fittest year ever. And we're like, maybe actually that's not going to happen this year. But we found a level of commitment and athleticism and fitness this year that made us both pretty darn happy. So I love that your year was about a seven, seven and a half. I would say mine's right around there too, maybe seven and three quarters. <laughs> I was really struggling last winter with some back pain and hip pain, and I was just not having a good time with winter training. So I came into the season not sure what to expect. Amazingly enough, I got back in a boat and those aches and pains totally diminished. And I had a really solid rowing season. I got to the point that I rowed in a women's eight at the Chicago River Half Marathon this summer. And when we finished that row in Chicago, like I wanted more. <laughs> yeah. I love that you and I are both like endurance nerds because it sounds like we're about to tackle something in 2024 that's like a super high endurance thing which is yes. awesome and we've started to talk to a lot of high endurance people like world's toughest row people and yes. things like that and I think uh, those are all people who have reimagined their relationship to rowing honestly yep. I think a lot of people are saying oh I don't have to stick with 6 a.m team workouts with flat water rowing now it feels like people are like what else can I do? How can I do something different? But I think you and I both agree that we are active people 
We're always active. We're always doing something, whether it's swimming, cycling, long walks with the dog, rowing, you know, finding a new adventure to do, going hiking, whatever it might be. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with not being a five day a week competitive training athlete at this point. I think yeah, that might come point. back. I think yeah. that's going to come back to me and it <laughs> might, it might come back in a swimming form. So stay tuned. Interesting. Stay tuned. Very yeah. interesting. Yeah. And I went through a little switcheroo like mid season. I had been rowing um, with our evening sweep program, which rose mm. at like six, six thirty, And then I switched to our morning program and literally day one rowing with that morning program, I was like, oh, now I remember why I did this. And I fell back in love with rowing in the morning and it just feels different. It felt better. Yeah. Practices went better. My mind was in a better place. And I was in a really good place physically until <sighs> October. Yeah. October. Guys. You got to be aware of stretching, mobility, taking care of your ribs, which I thought that I was doing, but then I sneezed real hard and my intercostal around my left rib, it was like, boring. like I literally heard it <laughs> snap yeah. or tear yeah. or something. Hey, and I was, then- I was doing a yoga move uh, two weeks ago and I, you know, triangle arm up and that was it. It's and I was me. like. I honestly thought I was going to go to the ER. Like, I was uh, like, what did I do? You know, stupid bodies. Oh, I know. But, but you know, we have to thank all of the people who keep our bodies in and upright. That's our chiropractors, our nutritionists, yes. our coaches, our <laughs> PTs, our you know massage therapist friends. But I kind of miss those days of five days a week mm-hmm. training as a team. I wanted to see about doing what we do with our guests, and that is the hot seat. We put. Uh, our guests do these lightning round of questions every time. And so this time, Rachel and I are going to be in the hot seat. So port or starboard? Starboard. And I'm also starboard, but I say this every year that I really also want to row port. So my body is not so imbalanced. Uh, okay. Uh, sweep or skull? Uh, well, definitely sweep. I love, love, love sweep rowing. There's something about being in bow seat with a sweep oar in my hand is my favorite place to be. This past year, I got in a couple of sculling boats and really fell back in love with it, which kind of surprised me. So I'm going to say sweep for now, but ask me again next year, and it may have flip-flopped to sculling. Gotcha. I'm a sweeper, always will be. But for some reason, in some alternate universe this fall, I ended up not only racing a double, but bowing a double, which is yeah. like, you know, <laughs> mind blowing. There's just so many oars. Bow seat, stroke seat, or engine room? <clears throat> engine room. I want to turn my brain off and just pull hard. I do love stroke seat. I, I, I really do. I think people who have had music in their backgrounds make good strokes, and I have. So I have been called into that position a few times. Bow seat is like being in a, like a Star Wars movie, like <laughs> all the like stars like coming at you, you know, that kind of effect. You do. You see everything. I you do see- not like bow seat. I yeah. do not. I feel late. I feel uh, like it's an optical illusion. It's really yeah. weird. But my favorite seat, like I said before, bow seat. It's awesome. Yeah. I love that I get to see. Well, especially when a row goes well, I love that I get to see it happen. Okay, next question. Head race or sprint race? Oh, head race all the way. 
I officially in 2023 have said 1000% no to sprint racing. Uh, I refuse. <laughs> absolutely refuse. I will yeah. cheer you on as you do a sprint race, but it's like being shot out of a cannon for me and slammed into a brick wall. I do not <laughs> like it and I don't have to like it. You so. do not have to like it. <laughs> I don't You're have to loud. like it. Well, I'm the exact opposite. I love sprint racing. I love when we take a clean start five and a Mm -hmm. high 20 and shift and that happens really well. And then you just keep that intensity down the course and you're done in three and a half minutes. Like that's the sort of thing. I kind of like testing myself to see if I can hang on, right? What can my body do? And this year I really surprised myself that at 46, I could, I could do that. I could hang on still with my younger teammates. That made me pretty happy. But if we were to to skip over head racing, like we were talking before about and go right to like distance rowing, like long distance rowing, Uh, that is, I don't get the chance to do it often. But when I did the Chicago half marathon, I was really in my happy place. Yeah. I wish that I had the opportunity to do long rows like that more often. I think I will amend my comment by saying I do love 2000 meter racing, 1000 meter racing. No, ma'am. 2000 on the other hand, because there's a strategy to it. Mm-hmm. There's a, there's a shift, there's a length and there's a recommit. There's a, da, da, da. you know, a thousand meter race. You don't have time to do any of that. It's just a bat out of hell, you know, it's mm-hmm. just pedal to the metal, but I like the strategy of that. Um, okay. Unisuit or tank and trowel. You know, my answer was always and forever a unisuit. I'm feeling a little bit less in love with unisuits these days, but yeah, unisuit. How about you? In my mind, <laughs> I I can rock a uni. In my mind, I can. Yeah. And then there's the reality of that. Yeah. Just in my own personal opinion. It's not my thing. I love the look of a uni. I love masters walking around regattas with their like saggy unis, you know, like all (laughs) beat to hell. But there's the peeing aspect. There's the porta potty aspect. There's the hot, cold aspect. Mm -hmm. But I keep buying unis and I think someday maybe I'll wear one. But I actually really like long sleeve tech shirt and trow. That's my absolute preference. Now I feel like I need to amend this. Uni suits are my go-to for racing, obviously, like 100% uni suits for racing. But I for rowing them at practice. I have to admit I'm a little body conscious, so I don't tend to row in uni suits at practice. I love tights, tights and tanks. That's actually my go-to, tights and tanks. That's totally you. Next question. Favorite Cox and Command, give or receive? Into lengthen. One, two, lengthen. At the end of the high 22K in San Diego's Mission Bay. <laughs> exactly that moment where, I mean, I get like little misty thinking about it. It was so beautiful. Yeah. It was into lengthen. And that first stroke of the lengthen is like. <gasps> yeah. When it happens right, it feels really good. And you get it a little just, single. That, okay. I got to say that. And my other one was a one that was recent. And that was the boat had like a phrase that mm-hmm. was like the like turn on the engines and it was freight train and that like you know the kind of idea of this like powerful freight train going down the course in a head race i love a good i love a good coxswain i don't i never sass a coxswain i'll tell you that yeah yeah what about you 
My favorite coxswain command to give is there it is. And that can come following on the heels of any number of things that the crew has done right. But it's to let them know that I feel it. They did it. They made a change. They made something happen. There it is. And um, yes. go on from there. As a uh, rower, I really appreciate that. As an adult rower, I really mm -hmm. appreciate that because I think adults were so hard on ourselves and we're so wanting to get it right that when you have a coach or a coxswain circle back and say, you did it. Good job. Mm -hmm. Here's your gold star. Okay. Favorite place to row. Wow. I, you know, I wish I could say Lucerne because everybody says Lucerne to that. A question. lot of our guests who are Olympians say Lucerne. Yes. The Olympians all say Lucerne. You know, the cows. <laughs> yeah, You and I will go there someday. I just love a lot of different places for a lot of different reasons. I think I'm going to say the Charles uh, mm -hmm. just because there's so much that goes into that. So much investment of people's time, money, camaraderie, excitement for the sport. It's the full package. You know, nowhere else can you go where you feel oh, an entire city get behind one event with a bunch of, you know, old fart rowers and cool youngster speedsters. You know, it's just like it's <laughs> such a crazy event. Yeah. And the river itself is beautiful. It is. It is. And I think I think that this time around, because I've been asked this question before, and I think this time around, I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to say Boston. Um, it's really gotten under my skin in a really good way. Of course, I have not rode that course. I have coxed that course now a bunch. It has all the things that you want. <laughs> I didn't realize you've never rode that course. I think we need to change that. Oh, I wonder if you should be in bow seat this, this coming year in the Charles and we find ourselves a Rachel Lemieux um, superstar coxswain to get us down the course. I I'm not I'm not opposed to that. I, I've, I felt really good this year. We'll talk about this more. I felt really good this year about uh, coxing the charles but yeah, you did um, oh it was it was an impeccable race it was impeccable it was i didn't have to you know when you're a rower and you don't have to worry about a damn thing you're like she's got it like and and we you guys had a couple of reasons to worry we were close we were really mm -hmm. close to a couple of crews yeah but that makes that's what makes boston so damn fun <laughs> okay best piece of rowing advice you've ever received oh hands down know your wake hands down Thank you to Sarah Nevin. Thank you to Eleanor McElvain. Thank you to Sarah Lopez. Know your wake. You have a wake. Spiritually, personally, physically, put your head on a swivel and look around. And sometimes you don't realize you're making a wake. Mm -hmm. And you sometimes realize it after the fact. And you need to own it. And not everybody does it perfectly. I know I don't do it perfectly. <laughs> but you have an effect on people. How you enter a room how you get in the boat, whether you give a high five or don't give a high five, how you look someone in the eye or don't look someone in the eye. And it's about having compassion for your fellow teammates and realizing everyone has a life and everyone's at war in their own worlds. Either leave it on the dock or rise up or help someone else rise up. Like it's that and rising tide lifts all boats. Those are my two. Know your wake and rising tide lifts all boats. So, so along the same vein. What about you? The thing that always sticks with me is something that my novice coach said, which was always remain humble. I've never been someone who's like, look at me, you know, <laughs> but the way that that's manifested in my rowing life over all these years has been to be someone who listens, who learns, and I guess also is aware of the wake that I'm leaving. Although that's probably not something I thought a ton about until you started talking with me about it mm -hmm. a few years ago, but mm -hmm. to just remain humble and know that there's always something more that you can contribute to the boat. Even after right. 20 years, when you think you know everything, 
Every day you get on that water, you're going to learn something new, and you have to be humble enough to recognize that. Steady State Podcast is sponsored in part by Breakwater Realty Group. Daydreaming of new lakes, rivers, and coastlines to row and play on? Consider a home in Maine. The Breakwater Realty Group, brokered by eXp Realty, can help you find your home away from home or relocate to a new primary home with ease. Connect with the team by visiting breakwaterrealtygroup.com and scheduling an obligation-free buying consultation. Maine, it's the way life should be. So we have had the podcast now since September of 2020, right? That's when we launched it in September yeah. of 2020. It is now December of 2020, which is crazy. It feels like 10 years in some ways. But in that time, we have built a whole community. And how we did that was by putting out, as of this year, 23 episodes this year alone with 36 guests to date, we'll have 81 episodes with 30,000 downloads, which is incredible. We are a niche podcast, to say it mildly, and we've seen it just grow and grow and grow, which is great. Mm -hmm. We also have Patreons, which are people who support us and send us a little bit of money every month and really makes a big difference. So if you're up for that, check out our Patreon. We have an e-newsletter that we send out every week, and we've really felt that's been very successful. And that's thanks to Rachel and her design skills and her uh, tenacity with putting that out every yeah, week. We have, we have like about 500 people that follow our e-newsletter. And from all the things that I've heard, if you get like a 20% open rate, like that's pretty good. Yeah. To toot our own horn loudly, we have an over 60% open rate in our newsletter every week yeah. and people are reading it, people are engaging with it, people are clicking on things and visiting our website. So if you don't already get our weekly e-newsletter, you can sign up for it on our website right there on the homepage and just stay up to date with all the things that we're up to. And one of the things we've been really concerned about from the beginning, which was inspired actually by COVID and by lockdown, was Coffee Chat. And Coffee Chat was inspired by missing being at practice with our teammates and then going for coffee afterwards or standing in the parking lot and having coffee or whatever was happening. And so we started Coffee Chat and it's where we just find out how your rowing week is going, how our rowing week is going, things on the horizon, episodes coming out events coming up and then just random observations on things. And so that's been on Fridays. And so that's on Instagram. So um, catch us there on Fridays. Friday mornings, 8 a.m. West, 11 East. And we've been doing that since December of 2020. Can't believe it. Yeah. I think we wanted to talk about our favorite moments of the podcast. Mm. And our audience is really what makes this possible. What makes this fun for us is that when we do an episode and we hear from you that you loved it, it challenged you, it gave you something new to think about, it inspired you to do something else in your rowing career gave you the confidence to do something. And then when we get to meet you, it's been really fun to hear that you're a fan. So thank you. And now our year in review. We talked to nearly 40 guests and every one of them had something or many somethings, very interesting and insightful, good stories to tell. They made us laugh. They made us cry. But I think looking at a really big picture, I would say one of the my favorite things that came out of this season is you and I understanding that we have a platform here that we can use to talk about 
big issues. And we did that this year with our gender identity policy series, four episodes where we talked to Dr. Mary O'Connor, Coach Ann Strayer, Coach Kevin Harris, and um, rowers Bobby Kaiser and David Scherzer about gender identity policies and how they are working, how they're not working, how they're affecting competition and quote unquote fairness for women. And so that was big, big opportunity for us this year. It's a very difficult issue. It's something that's a global issue in terms of all sport, um, not just rowing. And we really, I think, did the legwork and I'm really proud of what we created. We're also keeping our eye on the policies as they change. And also it gave us some confidence to go on and do other series about other topics, which will come in 2024. Here's a clip from our gender identity series featuring rower David Scherzer on being non-binary and U.S. rowing policy. David, what's been your experience with coming out as non-binary in within DC Strokes, which to me feels like a very sort of traditional old school gay, like what I've grown up with from the 80s and, and that this concept is not just new for the world, it's new in the LGBT community. So I'll get to the answer, but I want to chill in one piece of backstory is I kind of came out as non-binary, though I used a little bit different label for it when I was 17, which for reference was last millennium. <laughs> and I have a lovely collection of books behind me that, I mean, the talk about people who have similar experiences and similar stories that I read when I was in college, which again, is not recent. So, you know, I think these concepts aren't new. I think they're just new to a lot of people. When I started rowing, U.S. rowing really didn't have a gender identity policy in any way. My coaches always boated me with the men. Um, during practice, we were always, you know, kind of who was there was who was in the boat. The men were intentionally mixed with the women and everybody just rowed together. Um, racing is where, it, you know, we obviously had to follow U.S. rowing policy and be more divided. And Coaches generally assumed that I was male and stuck me in with the men. And I was like, sure, you know, whatever. I'm not going to fight with it. When U.S. Rowing passed their their first gender identity policy, which I think was in around 2015 or 2016, I went to our programs director and said, look, you know, my license does not say male, nor does it say female. So what am I supposed to do? Because I don't fit. You know, this was the, the era of you had to row with whatever you had, whatever document said that you were. And I'm like, well, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And I think I asked like two or three subsequent program directors and, and nobody ever knew what the answer was. And so I kind of just continued to kind of shut up and row with the men in racing. And so with the most recent policy change, it basically is me meant that I can't race, right? As a non-binary person, I can't row male. I can't row female. You know, I, I can row in a mixed boat, but I don't count as one of the women because those have to be female assigned to birth. So it's, it's a very strange place to be. And then, you know, I actually had a conversation with Jess Jackson right after the policy was released. And there was this notion of, well, we're, we're gonna have this open gender category and anybody can row in that category. And, you know, I'm looking at Masters Nationals this year, which is the first year where that should have been a thing. And I believe that, I mean, there were over 200 events at Masters Nationals. There were two open gender category races both were open, so they weren't even masters races. They were both QXs, which, you know, I'm like, I don't, what do you do if you're a sweep rower? What if you do if you don't have a rowing partner or have access to a 2X on a regular basis? So it pretty much means that since I've switched to sculling, I, I haven't raced. 
So you mentioned talking to Jebby Stone, which you did early on in the season. I know you wanted to talk to her for a long time. Fan moment mm-hmm. with Jebby and her mom. I feel like I squeal like a 12-year-old at a Taylor Swift concert when I see <laughs> Jebby Stone. And then I got to meet her in person. Like, she is so amazing. So let's take a look back now at that episode featuring Jebby Stone and her mom, rower and coach Lisa Stone. And Lisa, then Jevy's answers, to describe the perfect stroke. I've asked hundreds of people, literally, to describe the perfect stroke. And I find people fall into one of two camps. The it's possible camp and the it's not possible camp. There's also, with the possible people, there's the technical and then there's the poetic. I'm wondering, what would you say now of describing the perfect stroke? And I'd like to ask Jevy too. I guess going back to my last year, you know, last year of coaching, last year, is place and push. I mean, obviously there's suspension. I think, you know, I kept on simplifying it. And I, you know, I I had this moment, someone, one of my athletes, you know, had spent a summer rowing and came up and go, oh, Lisa, I now have a fast catch. And I'm like, oh no. (laughs) Because that means, you know, the emphasis was placed, you know, was put not on the suspension, but on getting the blade in fast, which I think is, I think it's sort of now misguided in the vernacular and, and efficiency. Debbie, what would you say? How would you describe uh, the perfect stroke? Have you ever had one? I don't know. I wonder if I'm in the impossible camp. Never had a perfect stroke. One perfect stroke? Maybe, but I think in rowing, you're always seeking for more. And one of the things I tell junior rowers is the reason I kept rowing is because I never got to reach fast because once you gain speed, there's always more to go. You can always get faster. And so even if you hit like that time you've been yearning for, there's still faster times to go. Like there's always so much empty space in front of you that you can keep chasing. That's what keeps people at it for so long is that there's always faster out there. And I think that one of the things that in chasing that faster, you want to have, you want to row better and have more. And so you're not looking for necessarily one perfect stroke, but you're looking for two perfect strokes and three perfect strokes. And it's hard to get a number of strokes in sync. But I think that there are days that I think some of it's situational. I think in order to get the perfect stroke, you need like that water to cooperate because you want to achieve that. I think it's like the suspension on the drive and the balance and the recovery where the boat is gliding underneath you and you really feel like you're doing no work to make the boat go fast. I mean, this podcast has allowed us to meet a couple of our heroes and there's going to be more in 2024, which would be really fun. And I think that my fangirl moment came this year when we got the chance to talk to uh, Lindsay Dareshoop, who is an Olympic gold medalist and has really grown into a fantastic coach. I think talking to Lindsay, this goes in line with a lot of other things that we've talked about. Just like she is the embodiment of this humble attitude that I think my very first novice coach talked about. And and that works for me. You know, there are rowers who are big and loud and dominant and will talk about being dominant in, in, in a certain way. And mm-hmm. that's just not where my brain kind of resides when it comes to rowing. Do I want to row well? Do I want to row hard? Yes. Do I want to win races? Yes. But I want to do that from a very calm, humble place. And so I, I love talking to Lindsay, who was really philosophical about her approach. Here's what Olympian and author Lindsay Dareshoop had to say about intangibles that positively impact team culture. What do you think are some intangibles outside of 
high performance and ERG scores and things, some intangibles that really make a team culture, whether it's collegiate, masters, juniors, whatever it might be. But what are some intangibles you really believe make for a positively impactful team culture? Yeah, everything about my entire experience at Virginia as an athlete, let alone now coming back to it, is that like the way that I describe the culture is past the paper, right? That the team performs beyond whatever logic might say, because there are these underlying elements of like being a racer, loving the sport, loving your teammates. That's where you start. We write and read millions of business and sport books telling us that it starts with the people, right? Get the right people on the bus. Jim Collins, good, great. Get the right people on the bus. And then then you drive the bus where it, it you know, point the bus where it's going to go. And, and that really does come down to who you are as a person, right? Are you bringing the positive energy? Are you bringing the support? Are you looking and going, I'm racing, but my teammate tripped and fell. I need to go grab that person rather than being like, cool, I'm going to beat him now. Mm-hmm. Right? Like mm-hmm. if you can come into the situation and not just be an adder, but when you really, really dial into the people around you and support them, you're a multiplier. Uh, my friend Jen Goldfax, she raced for the UK and the US as a lightweight. And the way that she put it is um, there are two types of people in this world, radiators and drains, right? And so can you be a radiator? And I think that's the stuff that really carries you the farthest. Love that. And in that same vein, we also talked to a coach and two rowers from Next Level Racing. We talked to coach Ben Booth and rowers Chris Bach and Christine Cavallo. And they were super philosophical about making the transition from flat water rowing to beach sprints and coastal rowing and just like letting go of perfection, which I also really needed to hear. Yeah, I think with the coastal being such a topic in the forefront lately, they're going to be beach sprints at the Olympics. Talking to those guys was really interesting about how to translate Uh, flat water rowing to a really volatile environment, you know, and, and really just like, let it go. Like, it's okay. Like you're going to catch air, you know, you're going to miss a stroke. You're going to just get in there and just dig it out. And it's so interesting. Like that idea of the perfection, the precision, like some people really need that in their lives, but shaking it up a bit with the coastal, I think is really fun. Let's listen back to next level racings, Ben Booth, Chris Back and Christine Cavallo on letting go of perfection. So I know that we wanted to talk to Ben about living in these Zen temples and training in Kung Fu and Tai Chi and mind-body arts. How do you bring those disciplines into your coaching methodologies? Professionally, all I've really ever done is teach Tai Chi or coach rowing. And so to me, there are really two sides of one thing, which is basically just teaching people art and life. And so to me, it's not really a separate thing. It's not, okay, how do I fold in what I've learned and, you know, the different temples and present into coaching. There's, there's not even that level of separation between them. To me, it's literally just all one thing. It's like, I'm, I'm teaching a way of being and that way of being really encompasses being present and true to yourself, which is, as athletes know, that is definitely a pathway to excellence. And it's one that allows that pathway to be through personal growth and attention rather than through external forces. You know, it's sort of shifting that into the, the internal space, which is essentially what my Zen and Tai Chi and Kung Fu training has been all about. For Christine and Chris, you've both rode with a lot of programs, a lot of coaches, now rowing for Ben and Mark and Next Level. How does this philosophy work for you? So I've known Mark for 
almost eight years now. I want to say he was my coach in college and then met Ben three years ago. And I think just kind of rolling kind of the life philosophies into it was a really, really pivotal thing for me as far as training goes and just pursuing life in general. I was really trying to balance a job at a Fortune 500 company just after recently graduating uh, and then rolling that into training for whether it's Olympics, training for a coastal worlds, um, whatever it might be. And I've realized that when you really put your energy towards the one or two things that you're really, really passionate about, doors start opening that you never really could imagine that would. And I, again, I don't know if that's stars aligning, if that's just how the world works and that's what I'm still learning, um, or if that's, you know, something that uh, I was necessarily taught through Ben and Mark, but it's been a really, really cool and, and enlightening experience from a year ago when I quit my job until now. Within that time, you know, the things that happened is specifically related to rowing career, winning world championships. I, it was just a dream before that. Um, and then I've realized, hey, if you just live the life that you enjoy and that you want to live, then it can, it can happen for anybody. And I think that's something that's really special um, that both of them have taught me. I think I learned a lot of these lessons the hard way through trial and error. And I'm glad that I did because now I can be in this space with this team and recognize how special it is. What my experience was, I learned how much of your happiness and your motivation and your drive can be a subjective thing that you say to yourself in the mirror every day. And you really do have some agency there. And so a lot of what we're doing and the way that this team is run and the way Coastal works, like I say this over and over again, you can trade all you want for about 60% of that race. And there's always going to be 40% that is mother nature that's going to smack you upside the head if you're not acting right. And that is so freeing compared to what I was doing in flat water, which was just neurosis, getting to 99.9% .9 of gold medal speed at all times, knowing that as a lightweight, you can't really go more than 102% if you ever need to turn the jets on at the end. It was, it's a very different mindset. And so to be able to let go of things that don't matter, you actually have so much space to care about the things that do. And it's just a very resilient mindset. I think we're all learning it, even though we had different journeys to get to the, this day. But it's cool to have everyone come together in like a pretty dynamic mental space at all times. Touches upon that sort of natural aspect of coastal rowing is that very fact that so much of it is actually completely out of your control. And it's so, so you can look at that as this space of unfairness, but you know, because like, oh, well, this happened to that person, but not this person. That was an adverse wave that slowed them down. Or you can also look at it as just how it is, right? And you can develop the skill to actually navigate the unknown and the unexpected. And so even if the race seems unfair and it seems out of your control and there's all these you know, other factors that are something you can't train for, you can prepare yourself mentally for those. And so your adaptability, your spontaneity, your detachment in the moment so that you're only ever present and you have no expectations. And I think that's one of the really cool things about coastal rowing. And that goes down right to every single stroke. Like you can't even expect the water to be in the same place it was in the very last stroke. So when you talk about being in the moment and coastal rowing, it makes that so necessarily vivid and tangible because you are literally in the moment. Every single stroke is different. And if you approach any stroke, any sense of expectation or a habit or, or need, you're, you're not going to be able to 
be in that stroke. You're going to be able to actualize in the moment, the very special moment that that stroke is. Another mm. one of my favorites was I love doing club spotlights. We always try to have a master's coach. We always try to have a club president or board mm -hmm. president and a recent learn to row graduate. So someone who is just like all starry eyed and like just loves it. And so when we did this year, we did Indianapolis Rowing Club as a lead up to Masters Nationals. They were the host boathouse for Masters Nationals. And what a amazing venue. Mm -hmm. I loved that venue so much. And the IRC people were just the nicest, kindest, Midwest, loveliest people Yes. I wanted to talk about uh, a favorite moment of mine in the past year that actually was kind of tangential to the podcast, which is uh, here in D.C., uh, Unity Boat Club came to, into existence in, in this past year. And uh, I was invited to attend an event they were having back in August. It was a celebration of Black excellence in rowing. And it was a hot, hot, rainy summer day, but I was able to attend this event at PBC Potomac Boat Club and reconnect with Olympians David Banks and Akil Abdullah and also met for the first time Arshay Cooper of A Most Beautiful mm -hmm. Thing. It was fantastic to talk to all three of them and hear what they had to say to the audience. It was also just really moving to hear how far everyone has come and all the work that came over the past many, many, many years to bring Unity Boat Club into existence. So I am looking forward to seeing how they develop and their success on the water in the coming seasons. Absolutely. Yeah. And the fact that we get to go to these events now and sort of be represented as media and actually get to cover the events. And we're like, hey, could we borrow you for a second to do a quick Instagram live over here in the corner from Say State Podcast? And they're like, sure, go. Yes, great. Awesome. And we took that to Masters Nationals. I did that at Tacoma Rowings, Northwest Ergomania. But our big kahuna of coverage was the head of the Charles. I think coming off of our experience with Masters Nationals, I felt like our confidence was up in terms of considering ourselves media. And so when we signed up for media passes and media credentials at the head of the Charles this year, we really like put in motion a schedule. We set up interviews with certain people. We worked with the PR company. So thanks to them for helping make that possible and giving us some great stories to tell. And then we sought out all kinds of events and experiences to go and cover and take pictures and talk to people. And um, as a result of that, we got some great guests coming up for 2024. We met a lot of people. And one of my favorite moments was when all three of us, me, you, and Kuhn from the Netherlands, got to be announcers at the, the finish line, kind of near the nearest the finish line booth on Sunday morning, which was so fun and harder than I thought. Head of Charles announcing booth, unbelievable opportunity, which totally blindsided me. I was not expecting it. You were sitting in a coffee shop yeah, <laughs> with Kuhn yeah. from the Netherlands. Yeah. And you called and you're like, hey, guess what? My partner came down with COVID and will not be here. Uh, do you want to come? Like, oh. Yeah. My shift was supposed to start at 7.15. And at 7.10, I reached out to the organizer, Ellen Minzner, who was also featured on the podcast right before Boston. She goes, hey, so your person has COVID. We're trying to find a replacement. And I was like, stop. I have a replacement. She's sitting in a coffee shop about a half an hour <laughs> away. And she will sprint to get here because this is really fun. And I didn't realize how badly you need two people. Like, it is no mm. joke because there's a huge binder Boat's moving very fast. It's hard to focus on the bow number. You're like, what is that? A 140? What? What is that? And, you know, not only that, but like 
just being quick and that your job is to announce for the spectators around you. So, you know, we'll, we'll be on the docket for next year. Hopefully we'll get a couple shifts and it will be really fun. Uh, yeah. But yeah, that was a peak experience. And it was sort of on top of having announced two or three regattas this year. It's kind of a way that I can be involved in sprint racing, but not have to sprint race. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. So this actually leads us to something I've been thinking about, which is like takeaways from the season. And one of the big takeaways for me this season was after a few years of kind of hearing about coastal rowing and beach sprints and and them kind of bubbling under the surface, for uh, lack of a better phrase, those beach sprints and coastal rowing are going to be big. They're the next big thing. There are U.S. rowing national teams. There now are a couple, if not three or four, U.S. teams specifically training to race nationally and internationally in beach sprints and coastal rowing. It will be a true alternative to to flat water rowing. You and I have met several coxswains, rowers, and coaches who have transitioned um, from flat water to coastal and beach, or they're doing both, which is amazing. It is definitely up and coming, and we're going to start seeing a lot more uh, about both of those disciplines. Yeah, and I think it's not like the um, the bastard stepchild anymore. Right. Like it's like it's a legitimate part of rowing. U.S. rowing has em- embraced it and put it into their uh, roster of activities, and they're doing camps and clinics and certifications and things like that. Mm-hmm. Now it's really being seen as both an alternative and a complement to your flat water rowing. Mm-hmm. The other thing that we really dove into, we mentioned this a little bit earlier, was the complicated topic that is gender identity. And we looked at it from the world rowing perspective, from the U.S. rowing perspective and other countries and how they're how they're um, addressing it. But what we did was we saw how it played out in an actual regatta. And one of the things that we've done now for two years is taken this concept of allies with oars, which was a concept started by Willow Arts in uh, Strokes in Transition, who's a master's rower in the Midwest, trans rower. And we decided to kind of run with the idea of allies with oars and create these mixed eights to compete at master's nationals and head of the Charles and just register these boats and see what happens. Like we found out Registering our allies with oars eight for Boston was not an easy task. It gave us an opportunity to talk to U.S. Rowing and to head of the Charles folks, talk about their registration process to pick people's gender identities and have them be accurately represented and not have to fit into this binary. So it's a complicated issue, but I feel like we have made it very human. We haven't talked theoretically. We haven't talked philosophically, really. We've done four episodes in the gender policy series, but we made the rubber hit the road, honestly. Mm -hmm. And we put eight people who believe that rowing is inclusive and should be inclusive into boats, people who identify all different kinds of ways. And we made it really clear that that's our mission. And when we recruit for those boats, they have to be on board 100% that they're representing queer, queer ally, trans, non-binary, gender, non-conforming, they are part of that team. And and it's been really a moment of pride to row down the Charles with these shirts on that say allies with oars and flying the colors and sharing our stories. You know, yeah. it's really humanizing it is what's really going to make this shift, the policy yeah. shift. Yeah, I'm really proud of the work that we've done here around gender identity policies and had a fantastic time with the crew on the Charles. And then 
to have the chance in Boston to talk to some of the folks who help run the event and talk to them about putting together our lineup. And like you said, literally, when we put our lineup in online, you've got to pick male or female. And guess what? Not all of our rowers identified with those categories. So we were able to kind of turn some light bulbs on there with the host organization and with U.S. Rowing and literally had a couple of those folks say, oh, really? We didn't know that that's how our registration process was working or not working. Right. And and the limiting factor, like, okay, so a regatta they just plug and play and here's all the categories, right? And what they don't do sometimes is is open up the categories or they just kind of go with the easiest option, which right now the open gender double seems to be one of the only events that someone who doesn't identify as male or female can participate in. Uh, what if you're not a scholar? Yeah. Uh, what if you don't have a doubles partner? Uh, what if you're... 410 and the only other person who wants to do it with you is you know or whatever like there's a huge disparity it's not fair and it's a lot like what happens with para rowing where they just kind of dump everyone into a para adaptive category but what i found interesting was that we got a real deep education in title nine this year Mm -hmm. um, because we talked to dr mary o'connor we talked to ann strayer we talked to kevin harris we talked to uh, Bobby and David as part of our series, but all throughout the year, Title IX kept coming up and getting to meet people from all sides of that equation, but then still forging ahead and putting our boat on the water. And we'll yeah. continue to do Alice with Oars. I want to talk quickly about partnerships we've had with U.S. Rowing, yeah. Head of the Charles Concept 2, Survivor Rowing Network. Yeah, I did definitely wanted to do a shout out to Concept2 because Concept2 not only is a sponsor and an advertiser with the podcast, but when we go to them and we say, hey, can you help us out with this really special initiative? They're always game. Big shout out to Concept2 for providing our comp oars for Head of the Charles two years in a row, as well as this year completely sponsoring our Director's Challenge entry fee, making it possible for more rowers to participate and making it less of a financial burden for our rowers to participate. So Concept2, we love you. So, you know, part of being partners with folks is a bit of a give and take and seeing opportunities and them seeing opportunities with us. So if you have an opportunity you want us to partner with you on, we'd love to hear about it. We'd love to talk to you about being a media sponsor, maybe for your event. We do like to align ourselves with events that match our values of inclusion and um, diversity, which is why I think the whole Survivor Rowing Network and, and Rowing Cares Initiative at the Charles was such a thrill to uh, interview Beth Cole, the executive director of Survivor Rowing Network, and to get to meet that team and the one from France. So we get to meet people, um, but we also get to share your message. So if you have a message and something that you'd like us to uh, help with, let's talk. I wanted to talk for a minute as we're about to wrap up here about looking ahead and what we have to finish up season four. We've got a lot on the docket for season five already. I'm really excited about all of it. If you have read Boys in the Boat, the main character in that boat is Joe Rance. And Joe Rance was born and raised in Washington State, lived his entire life there. And uh, we are going to be sitting down with Jen Huffman, who is Joe's granddaughter. Yeah, I've known Jen in the Northwest Rowing community for many, many years. I meant to tell you this. The way I met Jen was she was a single scholar up at Lake Stevens Rowing Club. And Lake Stevens has an event every April called Lake Stevens 
um, spring sprints, essentially. And I used to reach out to Lake Stevens every year and ask to borrow equipment and extra dock space and extra attention so that I could bring my adaptive rowers up there. Mm. It was our first regatta was Lake Stevens sprints. And Jen Huffman became my contact at that boathouse. Jen has gone on to uh, become a sweep scholar with College Club Seattle, as well as a single scholar. And in that whole process, Daniel James Brown was meeting and talking to Judy, Jen's mom, and Joe Rance is seeing Joe Rance's paperwork and files and memorabilia and all of that and building the book. And now we really wanted to talk to her as the movie is going to come out. So that episode will come out December 23rd, which is two days before the film comes out uh, officially nationwide. So very excited to get to know Jen a bit more. Yes. And then we're going to say Happy New Year and ring in a new year with season five, which we are kicking off with Olympic coxswain and founder of the ninth seat, Mary Whipple. Uh, I cannot wait to pick her brain about all things coxing. I want to know, like, how, how do you get to that place where you are that successful as a coxswain and leading such such successful crews? Um, yes. And now she's a, a mom living out in Washington and running the Ninth Seat, which is a coxing clinic, mostly for high school students. But uh, I attended one as a master's athlete. So um, stay tuned in early January for Mary Whipple. Yeah, that'll be really fun. And then one thing that kind of came up during Head of the Charles was medical emergencies on the water. So we like to talk about safety and we have in our back pocket, Mr. Tom Rooks, who is the U.S. rowing safety chair, uh, lead director of safety. And so one of the stories that I've heard a lot over the years are stories of people who survived heart attacks. And you would think these middle-aged, healthy people rowing on the water would not have that uh, be an issue, but it's a sneaky thing. And so having a heart attack and having a heart attack on the water is an example of a medical emergency and emergency preparedness that I think a lot of coaches aren't ready for. Mm -mm. So we're hoping that this series will introduce you to some pretty amazing people, some pretty amazing widows and survivors of some medical emergencies on the water, as well as give you some tips. I know as a master's coach, I would not be prepared if you asked me tomorrow to take yeah. care of a situation where someone had a cardiac arrest on the water. So I'm looking forward to talking to Tom Rooks and getting his tips and advice. So yeah. that'll be kicking off in uh, late January, I believe. And we've got a few episodes in that series planned. So mm-hmm. stay tuned for those. We're also going to be talking with uh, a juniors coach who is kind of a leader in her own right in safe sport. Yeah. So I met a juniors coach over in uh, Boston who is taking the lead on developing curricula for junior rowers to be able to advocate for themselves in a potentially exploitative situation. We've been all schooled in safe sport, which prevents exploitation and abuse of junior rowers and master's rowers. But Having the conversation ongoing is a lot different than us sitting passively taking a course online. And this particular coach has really taken some leadership on that. And we're going to get to know her. Um, We also have on tap for season five, indoor world rowing record holder, Elizabeth Gilmore, who is actually a teammate of mine uh, here in Washington, D.C. She started as an indoor rower and got on the water for the first time this past season, had an unbelievable season on the water, and then just like kind of surprised a lot of folks when she said, hey, guess what? 
I'm starting to train to row across the Atlantic, Boston to London. Rowing really is in her blood, and I cannot wait to talk to her about her rowing journey. She's a powerhouse from everything I've seen. I mean, damn, you know, just running with it. So I'm excited to meet her. I love people who are so motivated and so in love with the sport and just Mm -hmm. running, literally going all the way with it. There does seem to be a lot of people doing those row across the Pacific, row across the Atlantic kind of transatlantic rowing. Yeah, I don't know if more people are doing it or you and I just are like keyed in on it, but it does seem like all of a sudden we know a lot of people who have rowed across an ocean or are training to row across an ocean, which is just freaking amazing. It's just mind-boggling to me. Insanity. Not on my bucket list, but hey, (laughs) you do you. Yeah, for me, I feel like I could, I would like to get maybe a couple days out into the ocean and be like, wow, it's amazing out here and then be done. (laughs) And I'm really excited about this one. I feel like this is a big coup is that we secured Bonnie Garmus, who is a rower and a writer, opens water swimmer, but most importantly, she's the writer and author of Lessons in Chemistry, a book that came out and has just been blowing people's minds about the story of a 1950s chemist, a female chemist, which was very unusual for the time. And they made it into a series on Apple TV, which I've been um, binging on. And then of course, reading the book as well. So I'm excited to welcome Bonnie Garmus to our podcast coming up in April. The main character in, in the book and the movie is a, is a chemist who ends up with a cooking show, which she said neither one of those she knew a whole lot about chemistry or cooking. But what she really knew about was rowing, and she really wanted to incorporate rowing into Lessons in Chemistry. So if you're yeah. on the bandwagon and you're, you've read or are watching Lessons in Chemistry, we're going to be talking to author Bonnie Garmis, which is like, holy smokes, I can't believe this has happened. Wow. It's been a busy season. We've got a lot coming up over the winter. A lot more coming up in spring of um, 2024. Thank you for being with us along on this ride. Stick with us in 2024 for even more. We always want to know what's going on in your rowing world. We want to know your stories. So you can connect with us on social medias, specifically Instagram and Facebook. You can also hop on over to our website, steadystatenetwork.com and contact us that way. If you've got a story to tell, uh, let us know. We'd love to chat. To see photos and get links to the people, clubs, and events mentioned in this episode, check out the show notes on our website. And thanks to a special group of our patrons, Jill M., Bobby K., Dave H., Arthur W., Lenore A., Chelsea V., Stephanie M., Casey D., Alan M., whose support makes this podcast possible. Join our team for as little as $5 a month at steadystatenetwork.com slash Patreon. Steady State Podcast is sponsored in part by... Rosource, providing creative design services for clubs, organizations, and regattas. Get the design help you need at rosource.com. This episode was written, produced, hosted, and edited by Tara Morgan and Rachel Friedman. Tara provides additional audio engineering and is our sponsor coordinator. Rachel manages our website, social media, and e-newsletter. Our theme music is by Jonas Hipper. On the next episode... Boys in the Boat hit bookstore shelves 10 years ago, telling the true story of the University of Washington rowing team thrust into the spotlight as they compete for gold at the 1936 Berlin Olympics. The book became a worldwide phenomenon, and now a George Clooney-directed movie adaptation is set to open in movie theaters on Christmas Day. Joe Rance, the central character in the book, was born in Washington, where we catch up with his granddaughter, Jennifer Huffman. 
A successful master's rower in her own right, Jen talks family legacy and scrapbooks and seeing her granddad brought to life on the big screen. Catch new episodes of Steady State Podcast every other weekend, anywhere you get podcasts. And while you're there, could you leave us a review? When you do, it helps our podcast get noticed and reach more ears. Listen to more episodes about everything from indoor rowing to rowing across oceans. Search the podcast archive at steadystatenetwork.com slash podcast. In two, way enough. That's one, two.